Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. James Bond is on assignment this week. We have a special sponsor this week. So here goes. It's a cold Tuesday night in Prague. The office is quiet as the snow falls gently outside. Then you hear a sound from the doorway. It's your target for the evening. You knew this day would come, the day when you would earn your double O status. You level your Walther PPK at the trader. You flick off the safety and you call out. Yes, considerably. When the moment comes to fulfill your dream of earning a license to kill, don't <laughs> flub your one-liner. With the Purvis and Wade book of cold-blooded killer one-liners, you'll never have trouble finding the right words at the heat of the moment. Order your copy today from 007store.com. I'm glad that paid off, James, because I was thinking, like, what, you know, people wonder why these podcasts go on so long. Um, yeah, that's good. All right. Is this a real product? <laughs> it, it will be tomorrow. <laughs> Somebody will copy and paste an ebook on Amazon, won't they? <laughs> uh, James, I think uh, Michael G. Wilson is on the phone for you. Yeah. Uh, wants to uh, inquire about this. Oh, I'm, I'm, my line's busy. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Listener of the week is the substitute agent 007, who Lisa knows on Instagram. Yes, yes. Congratulations. Um, so this week we're going to discuss Bond villainy in the real world. So um, oftentimes real world events have inspired the plots of Bond films, but what Bond villain plots may have preempted real world events. So to discuss all the times we nearly died are David, <laughs> Calvin, Phil, Ben, Dr. Lisa, and Bill. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi there. This is David Lee. I am, uh, well, I'm the uh, owner of the James Bond dossier, .com, and I'm the author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond, among other things. I'm Calvin Dyson, and I have a YouTube channel under that name, where I uh, make review videos for all things Bond, movies, books, games, all that sort of thing. I'm Phil Nobel Jr. I edited a horror magazine called Fangoria. If you like Bond and horror, check it out. Hi, uh, I'm Ben Williams. I've just figured out how to unmute my microphone. Um, I, I am a regular contributor to mi6hq.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm a university professor, award-winning author, and podcaster specializing in gender in James Bond and other action films. And uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spike Band, and I show up on this podcast every so often. I like you've got your uh, intro condensed, Lisa. Undersells your output. <laughs> well, we only have so much time. James's jokes. That's right. So, as I said in the intro, real world events have inspired Bond plots. So, I think we should rule out talking about the things that have inspired Bond plots, but flip the story the other way around, which is like what Bond plots may have future echoes of or had future echoes of real world things that happened or nearly happened does anybody want to pick out the obvious one first and let's just get it done uh, well is that are we talking about the rockets Cause, yeah because that was my idea and it's like yeah i'll go for that uh because in the novel uh moonraker you had a millionaire who is privately financing a rocket. And now in real life, we have two billionaires privately financing rockets and both billionaires look like James Bond villains. And in fact, Calvin Dyson did a uh, video this week as we record noting about how Bezos, Jeff Bezos looks like a Bond villain. And uh, the other one, of course, is um, Elon Musk, who in 2015 posed for a picture where he essentially did a essentially a, amalgam of himself as uh, Blofeld and Dr. Evil because he's holding a stuffed white, you know, toy white cat, but he's also doing the thing with his uh, pinky, like uh, as Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil. And that was his uh, Twitter avatar for a while in 2015. As soon as I saw that, I made sure to copy it just yes, because this, this is too good to not use in the future. 
was really so. weird. You do wonder if they have moments of that, like, am I the baddie? Sort when they look <laughs> at themselves in the mirror and they're sort of, ah, I'm the rich industrialist building rocket ships. Uh, yeah, yeah, hang on. You definitely there's have... a very good Mitchell and Webb sketch about that where they're yes. Nazis in the war and they're looking yeah. at their uniforms going like, Why bad guys. Yeah. Well, well and, and, and Musk clearly has a James Bo- has James Bond on the brain because at Tesla, his electric car company, they had a Project Goldfinger, and in 2013 he bought one of the uh, the Lotuses, the one that actually traveled underwater. You know, it, it, somebody yeah. had to break the news to him that it didn't actually work. Yeah. Right, and he made some noises about trying to like change it so it could. And it's like, you know, it's like, no, Elon, don't do that. Didn't <laughs> just, he also just have preserve one the of the, uh, the the um, the the Wet Nelly come up on the like there was a, like a kind of an Easter egg lock That's screen right, on yeah. the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seem to remember that. I think it'd be really cool if you did like a Drax Industries logo, but you just like made it like Musk Industries. I I think that'd be a cool T-shirt to do. Oh, um, but just in but case anyway. there's people out there who make T-shirts mm. and <laughs> wait, what, what, what's your cut, what, what's, your, what's your cut of it then, Ben? Oh, uh, I'll get retweeted uh, a lot. A low and hearty handshake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but no, seriously, at the, at the time of the Moonraker novel, the idea that a private individual could like actually finance a rocket was like that had to seem incredibly fantastic. And now today, seven, almost seventy years later, it's like it's like. Elon Musk. That's how it impossible. goes. He's one of America's leading industrialists. <laughs> yeah. by, by, by the way, Bill, I, I loved it how you said that Elon Musk seems to have Bond on the brain because nobody here uh, has Bond on the brain, do they? Yeah, but we don't have billions of dollars you know, to well, our well, names. We're, we're, we're working on that thing. bit. Well, we, we will after that new book sells. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 not a double <laughs> Not if 007 Magazine does a scathing review like they do all the other uh, 007 books. But anyway. Have, have they reviewed my book, by the way? I I don't know. It's like I really don't care to know because like I like know. you and I like your book. And it's like, you know, it's like I I, I just read that, that last review was so scathing and so dripping in uh, – Whatever it's like, you know, I I, I couldn't get Mama. I couldn't get all the way through it. I I want to know why Phil hasn't done Die Another Day for uh, Fangoria yet. Hmm. You know, when I first got this gig, someone someone did a, a goofy fake Fango cover of of Skyfall, and it was like it was Silva with his teeth out and <laughs> and like a really cheesy like blood spattered font, and then the mm-hmm. film strip on the side it had a picture of of Judy Dench's M like at, you know dead. And it just said death with an exclamation point across the top. I'll share it with you. It's delightful. I'll try it out now and again. Yeah, fair enough. One day. One day. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that was def I, I think that's definitely a, a you know the probably the best candidate for, you know, um real world um Well, they're actually sending people to an actual space station. Mm. Right? Yeah. So it's done. Except that they haven't yet threatened the world. <laughs> Yeah. We have white supremacy in America, so I, I think pretty much sure. it's going to be. And we have obviously had also a, a fairly deadly virus um, being unleashed on us. It's like they got it all out of sync. The chapter headings on Moonraker. There's a there's a weird gap in the super villain in uh, villains of the Bond films and and real life. And weirdly, it's like closer than Fleming's thing. Like the real life supervillains are kind of dweeby, kind of oafish, um, just jerks. There's no charisma at all in them. And Fleming sort of leaned into that with his with his toad like uh, his villains. His Lashif was described as just thoroughly unpleasant, and uh, Drax is like kind of a one to one for Trump. Um, <laughs> but. But they really, they really sexy them up in the films, and and I feel like we're we're not getting enough sexy supervillains in real life. Well, well, and and with uh, Goldfinger, and Goldfinger the novel is like what five foot tall, I think. Yeah. And uh, but on the other hand, they take Blofeld, who is like big and enormous, and they made him a runt with uh, Donald Pleasant. So it's mm-hmm. like, and they they weren't entire, they weren't entirely uh, consistent. 
in well, what of course, they correct dealt Charlie with it. a little bit. Uh, somewhat, but anyway. <laughs> it's an interesting point you bring up, Phil. That the especially I'm thinking like Zorin onwards, um, mm-hmm. the the charisma. I mean, the, I was just about to say you don't become that successful by being that repulsive, but then that's not true, is it? Yeah. Well, well it's, once, it's... once once you've got a certain amount of money, you don't need to be polite to anybody anymore, do you? So your charisma just goes out the window. Well, yeah. it's not Ellen like Jeff DeGeneres. Bezos is classically handsome. He's got a shaved head, but uh, um, people are into that now. Well, yeah, that, but yeah. I mean, but, but yeah, but it's like it's still. Are you not- saying Jason Statham isn't handsome? Three times a day. I think Jeff Bezos becomes more handsome by being the world's richest man or number two, whichever he is on any given day. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. When wealth is, is seen by some people as being a very attractive quality, just like competency is seen as being an attractive quality. And so is, is wealth a quality though, Lisa? It's, I mean, uh, uh, in terms of like, it's, it's a characteristic. It's, yeah. it's a, it, it's That's a what she means. Yeah. It's more of a I characteristics. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way that you sort of present it and exude it and, and sometimes flaunt yeah. it. Um, on, on, yes. on, on the average guy, Bill uh, Gates's haircut is not very good, but oh, he's incredibly rich. Oh, he's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 sorry, I wasn't trying to be too persnickety about semantics, but um, I just, I just sort of felt like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's not so. Wealth isn't so much a trait, is it? Is something that is. Mm, but I, that's where we disagree because when we think about like intergenerational wealth, when we talk about traits and we talk about being socialized um, into your your class based standing, there's a lot that goes into say. Um, upper socioeconomic class. And oftentimes when you have that intergenerational wealth, maintaining that wealth, like old money, there's a yeah. lot that goes into creating sort of like uh, your personality, the way that you shake hands, the yeah. way you and, you, and, you, and your view on the world as well. Yeah. You know, like yeah. So all those things can be like, yeah. yeah. Because I, I love the way that Ivana Trump fought a way up from poverty. Right. <laughs> well, isn't there a line in, isn't there a line in, um, uh, layer cake about that which is like the money's new but the paintings are to match or something yeah. like they fake this family story there's but there's also yeah there's but there's also that whole kind of notion of like calvin wins the lottery tomorrow and you know makes 18 million pounds you know mm. does that does that in automatically change i suppose it does change it does change you obviously but does it just necessarily change you for yeah. the for the worst and don't have to be taking those that money from extra anymore, right? I'll need many wallets to fit all the money in. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Calvin suddenly becomes a uh, customer of the wallets rather than being a pitchman for the wallets. <laughs> Calvin can actually buy the company. Oh, yeah. See what MGM. <laughs> Maybe not for eighteen no. million, but no, no, the wallet company. I think is what he was uh, talking about. Uh, I got ideas above my station for, for a second. Uh, <laughs> you're getting he went too carried straight away. for NGM. Like I love that. <laughs> Ooh, I can own bond. <laughs> by, by, by the way, a bit of a tangent, but uh, it's fantastic that you're c- called Calvin because you just say Calvin to anyone in the Bond community, and they immediately know who I'm talking about. Yeah, there's only one Calvin yes. in this. Ecosphere. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky with that. Yeah, very, perfect yeah. branding. You should really thank your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a cat and call it Calvin. I think. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really, uh, I'm really sad that we're not doing the watchlongs anymore because I really would love to Calvin to like do the lion roar, but like in cat voice. <laughs> If Calvin oh, bought MGM, that would be the first thing he would do is change that sound, right? <laughs> <laughs> just just to kind of steer us on sort of topic. Um, you mean like to turn the ship around 180 degrees? Quick I do remember back probably about 10 or 11 years ago now that there was a uh, – and this is – since I think being debunked, but there was this uh, internet rumor that the the gold in Fort Knox had been replaced by tungsten 
gold-plated tungsten bars, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know was apparently discovered by like a Hong Kong bank. You know, were testing their gold, and you know that that had come from uh, the vault uh, at um, Fort Knox, and discovered it to be fake. Yeah, I mean, Goldfinger Spy wouldn't work anymore anyway because the US went off the gold standard with Reagan, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the gold in Fort Knox doesn't back up the US dollar since when? Uh, 80s? Yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, you know, everyone's off the gold standard um, apart from those, uh, you know, those ads that you get late, late at night that ask you to give them your gold. Um, that's about that's about the only people who really seem to be interested in it. Well, um, I, I guess the, the manufacturers of of billionaire taps that uh, they need gold to play the taps in, <laughs> or, or maybe if you're a billionaire, you actually have solid gold taps, but and toilets and toilets. I, I don't know if you know this, but there's more gold under New York City than there is in um, the Fort Knox uh, repository. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little known known thing. Anyway. There you go. I just thought I'd bring that up to try and keep it vaguely on top. <laughs> a valiant effort. Well, the, the thing that sparked this in my head this week was the microchip shortage, mm. which is going on, which wasn't created by anything nefarious. It was due to the pandemic. There has been an uptick in um, need for cameras and laptops and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's the supply and demand problems kicked in, right? So supply can't keep up the demand and that's caused uh, car companies to shut down, right, Bill? And uh, cease to cease manufacturing. That's um, right. The, and um, I was reminded of like all all Max Zorin had to do was just you know tell people to go and buy a new laptop, and that would have caused the same problem. That's right. the uh, The auto industry is still uh, struggling with uh, shortages of microchips because part of it is uh, not to go too far there, but like the makers of microchips like can make more money sell, selling them to makers of computers than to cars. And so it's like, uh, you know, so like the car makers have gone to the, to the bottom of the line and, uh, that's caused a lot of problems lately. Um, I watched, um, a view to a kill last night, actually, uh, sort of apropos of, um, nothing really, but I may, maybe, um, subconsciously in, influenced by the, uh, the topic of uh, this week's podcast. Um, and, uh, I did a little bit of tweeting about it last night and somebody, somebody mentioned that, um, flooding, uh, Silicon Valley wouldn't have done anything no. to the market no. <laughs> other than, no. other than hit his customers. Cause that's not actually where they're Produce. They don't produce them yeah. right <laughs> i mean it would have it would have really damaged r&d like there would have been no new products for a while yeah. but it wouldn't have turned manufacturing so real world story um from my part of the world back in 2011 when there was the uh, earthquake and tsunami um that hit a couple of big sony manufacturing plants where they produced all of the digital tape and stuff used by broadcasters around the world and film and TV producers, and the prices doubled overnight. And there was such a run on stocks everywhere um, that it took them like a couple of years to fully recover from it. And that is literally the Zorin plan, which is you knock out, you know, a major manufacturer, and then you take over the supply the supply chain, right? For the first of all. Uh, okay. And that literally happened. That that happened for mm-hmm. Sony in 2011 for real. Yeah. Hmm. So the other one that was in the news that also sparked my imagination on this was the pipeline on the east coast of the united states Mm -hmm. that was uh through cyber terrorism um was ransomware attacked and shut the whole thing down for was it five days um and that caused you know huge price gouging and gas shortages and memes of people filling laundry baskets with Mm. gas at walmart Mm. and stuff um and that's you know shades of the world is not enough which is you, you know you disrupt disrupt a pipeline um, to have leverage over a country. Yeah. Can I piggyback on that one and say like, it also has some shades of Skyfall with the way that cyber terrorism is being utilized in that film. Raul Silva has connections to China, even though in the mainland Chinese release, those connections were no, not in that version <laughs> of it. So I'm not sure how the film looked, but we've seen 
China's link to cyber terrorism and, and, and hacks that have happened afterwards. So after the film has, has come out, like, and I, and I wrote down a bunch, like in just the U S ones in 2013, there was an attack on the New York times, 2015, the U S office of personnel management, 2017 Equifax, and then 2020 EasyJet and the Vatican and their, their ties back or at least connections or perceived connections to China. And so this idea of cyber terrorism and, and the impact of it, it can hit, as you say, oil areas, but it can also hit broader aspects of infrastructure and have a huge impact. They managed to uh, hack the Atari ST, uh, that is the computer system of uh, EasyJet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, in terms of real life, the U.S. Department of Defense is is imposing new standards on its suppliers because of the cybersecurity th- uh, aspect, mm-hmm. because this is so real. And so the you know, and they're phasing in these standards, but it's beginning this year and it's going to take place over the next few years. So, yeah, that's that's a very real concern, uh, you know. In terms, especially for manufacturers who happen to supply the U.S. Defense Department. I once met the founder of EasyJet to go off on another tangent. Hmm. Where? At Luton Airport, funnily enough. He was scrubbing the floors. I know. Um. I I, I was flying out to Barcelona and I met him in the newsagent in there. That's it. Well, and while while we're talking about uh, uh, villains' plots, now this is not the finished film, but... Michael Francis' first draft of Goldeneye had an attack on the t- the Twin Towers. Ooh, now, this right. would have been like 93 uh, when he wrote the script. And of course, you know, the actual attack on the Twin Towers was 2001, 9-11. Which one was better? Famously. Um, well, well, I'd say Michael Francis because it didn't happen in real life. Fair, uh, fair. And, 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 and real life and real people didn't die. Yeah, but, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, um, but when I read that uh, that draft, well, I, I was like, "Whoa, Michael so Francis was ahead of his time." Well, did Michael Francis write that in 1993, before or after the actual 1993 World Trade Center bombing? Uh, I think he wrote it after. In other words, there was an attempt at the there was an unsuccessful attempt to bomb the the World Trade Center that was foiled, and so Michael Francis was probably inspired by that real life incident. But then, of course, in 2001, it happened for real. Um, it just reminds me that when um, Trigger Mortis came out, um, I had uh, the, the, the pleasure of uh, interviewing Anthony Horowitz uh, about it. And uh, one of the questions that I had for him was, um, you know, in, I, and for, for those that haven't read it, uh, a spoiler is about to be revealed that, um, you know, knew uh, the um, Empire State Building in New York is uh, is under threat um, of of being destroyed in that novel, and I said to him, um, you know, it's, it, this is obviously related to nine eleven, and you know how does uh, how does that kind of fit into into the novel? And he said it's got nothing to do with nine eleven; it's a different building. <laughs> uh, and I was I was just kind of like, so y- the plot to destroy a major landmark building in New York City is nothing to do with a major <laughs> landmark building being destroyed in New York City. It's like, yeah, no, it had nothing to do with it. Totally original idea. So just thought I'd, just thought I'd say that. Liar. <laughs> yeah, that's, what I, that's kind of what I thought. Uh, I, I did the, the classic uh, 1980s. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I, I actually, to be honest with you, I, I, it stumped me so much that I, I kind of fumbled over my follow-up question that I was so kind of like, I, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Just to talk about um, another Brosnan film as well, and a real sort of obvious one here with real life parallels, but um, Elliot Carver, obviously, who was based on Robert Maxwell, I believe, but then mm-hmm. it is kind of one of those where, you know, pretty much any media baron could be Elliot Carver. The whole, you provide the pictures, I'll provide the headlines. That's just a recurring yeah. theme in media. It's just kind of like an ever present thing. I mean, I think you can go back to. Um, you know, Hearst and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think they're all the same person, in fact. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I think taking that into the into the future, though, like post that, it would be the thing. I, I mean, obviously, we haven't had a threat of war between Britain and China because of the media guy, but we have had mm. an insurrection in the United States because of a media organization. Right. Yep. Mm. So. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we talk about real life um, impacts, you're talking about manipulating the media for some sort of political influence or political power. And and I think right now we're seeing, for those not familiar, but Dominion who sells, um, I think it's hardware and software, so voting machines and, and the software, um, actually sued Newsmax, who had to <clears throat> issue an apology for misleading statements. And they are currently um, litigating, or at the very least, they're still suing Fox News for um, misleading and, and, statements. And Rudy. And yeah, yes. and specific people. I mean, it, it goes beyond, say, I mean, I know we were talking here about the news organization, but like it goes beyond the institutions themselves or the conglomerates and the people pulling the strings to a whole bunch of other people being personally sued for like millions and millions of dollars. Um, yeah. Dominion is definitely suing uh, Fox News and that suit is still active. There were a um, couple of really great uh, Newsmax clips of what once they realized that, mm-hmm. that their company wasn't going to stand up for them or once they realized there was an actual uh, litigation threat happening, they would give these expansive disclaimers <laughs> anytime somebody said something slightly spurious. <laughs> yeah, they have this statement taped to their desk if anybody says the word Dominion now. Yep. And, yep. And, and some Fox networks had the same, you know, it's like almost identical um, um, statement. Um, so, but I saw this one clip. It was a Newsmax interview where they were interviewing somebody. I forget who it was. They're starting to like spout this stuff off, mm-hmm. and like the, the host is like cutting them off. Like, no, we can't talk about this. We're not talking about this. We've we've said the statement. We're not <laughs> talking about the thing this again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing but, that. But also at the time of uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, not only was Robert Maxwell out there, but also Ted Turner was still running Turner Entertainment. He shortly would sell his company, you know, to the parent company of Warner Brothers, but he was still a factor at that time. And there were like a number of these guys in the in the 90s when that movie was made. So uh, Bruce Fairstein, who was the first screenwriter, um, he had a number of targets to, uh, you know, absorb into his into his first script. And um, anyway, and a lot of that you know, still played. And of course, Robert Maxwell, of course, committed suicide. He was in a yacht. Allegedly. I guess like, yeah, you know, well, I think it's pretty accepted now because he like, apparently like jumped off his yacht into the ocean. But his uh, daughter is uh, been implicated in the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing. And she's been accused. I mean, she's, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, she has been accused, you know, she's, um, you know, in custody. Um but yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that whole era is still with us is what I'm trying to say. And can I just throw out here? I know that Tomorrow Never Dies doesn't always get the love that it deserves. So I'm, and yes, it's Michelle Yeoh, fine. But <laughs> I feel as though oftentimes people sort of give it a bit of a hard time. And every time I watch it, I just, I realize how timely it is. Like it, it, it was, yes, there were contemporaneous issues, but I feel as though as we've seen just this expansion of globalized corporate media um, mm. and, and, and with multiple stations and instant access and social media connecting to it. I feel as though that's just a film that remains a really big warning to us about the power yeah. of media, but also <laughs> like the, although, although we should be careful mention, and cautious. It doesn't mention the internet. What? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot Carver's only mistake was to try and do it through books and movies <laughs> rather than the internet. That is true. Well, but, but in real life, I mean, he was like a long lead villain. <laughs> well, well, but in real life, okay, the internet began taking off around 1995. That movie came the off in 97. Is the of, in- this plot of the film before it. Yeah, exactly. I, the I, I'm not. I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying that you know, but, but they would have started writing it in '95. Even a I mean, even a crappy computer um, shop in St. Petersburg, Russia, has access <laughs> to the internet. But Elliot, well, and, Elliot Carver does not. Well, and we were talking earlier about all the uh, technical uh, miscues in uh, A View to a Kill. You know, like, uh, no, that's not how, that's not how microchips work. 
Right. Um, so it's not like the, the producers have the keenest uh, <laughs> technical that, knowledge. Uh, the, the Bond says, uh, well, everything can be affected from the modern toaster to the, and it's like, there's a microchip in your toaster? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is now. They have AI, right, yeah. David? So. But I also, I think the toaster is interesting because I've heard when you look at media regulation, um, oftentimes like the television was aligned with the toaster. Like the toaster, yes, it's 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 it has like digital capacity and, and it can be smart right now, but it's always been used as this broader metaphor as like it's benign. And so your television is exactly like the the toaster. So we we can't, create any sort of like content limitations. And I think the toaster is just a really interesting, the way that it gets used over and over and over like again. They've just merged them now. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to take it seriously. Yeah. You have to, you know, like, I, I don't know, like it's interesting how they've decided to put a TV onto a toaster rather than the other way around, you know, like a TV that makes a toast. <laughs> With with the old style TVs, I bet if you put a slice of bread on it, it would toast. Right, just irradi- irradiates. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea it's that just you know, like, thought of it. I don't want to have to get up in the middle of watching a view to a kill to make some toast. Yeah, but that's why you need a drone to take the the, the bread over to the drop it onto the TV and then bring it back. Well, as a segue to another example, of course. With uh, The Living Daylights, uh, Richard Maybaum and Michael Wilson were inspired by a combination of the Contras and the Mulhadeen. And like they were like taking things that were happening and like trying to put it into a script. And um, yeah, that hasn't, that hasn't aged particularly well, though, has it, Bill? <laughs> no, it, no, it, no, it hasn't. But I remember reading an interview with Maybaum where he was like pissed because. Particularly the uh, the contra thing, the, the the complicated. We'll do this and get the money to the contras, and right. like he was mad because oh they're, they're spoiling our plot that we've worked up for this new Bond movie. And yeah, um, flipping yeah. it the other way around though about the contras. I mean, Ronnie Reagan's great idea of you know helping the contras in Nicaragua get cash was to like wholesale cocaine right into los angeles yeah in the 80s with freeway ricky and all those guys um selling and selling cocaine at ten thousand dollars a kilo under street value right to get monopoly i mean that is straight out live and let die right <laughs> 10 years later mm. and it was the government not mr big but <laughs> allegedly <laughs> allegedly so that it's kind of a that's a circular path, isn't it? Because then a couple of years later, Living Daylights and License to Kill come out. The lesson is do not try to go to a James Bond movie to like make a lot of money. Like, no, don't do this. Like, come up with your own idea. <laughs> well, um, so somebody, uh, Torsten on Twitter, came up with a good one. Um, obviously, the quantum, the pot, plot of Quantum of Solace about the Bolivian water supply mm. is based in reality because at the turn of like late nineties, early two thousands, water was privatized in Bolivia under mm-hmm. the regime and all that kind of stuff. So he sent me this interesting article from the Guardian about how Nestle in Canada mm-hmm. is t- tapping water off native land, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is straight up Dominic Green. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Jesus, that's not good. Nestle, Nestle, that company that's always been known for doing such great things, is doing that. <laughs> what a surprise! Water rights, water security is—it's interesting because this is something I talk to my students about, and and we we talk a lot about like oil and oil um, and being oil dependent. And I'm like, it's water. Water's the next major source of conflict that is going to happen. And I have to just give a shout out to my dad because one of his favorite genres of movies is um, there are these sort of like really inexpensive made in Canada end of the world movies. Like it's a, it's a, it's niche. It's a very, very niche group. And they have a lot of them dealing with like water conflict. And they also have ones with like giant spiders and stuff like that. But this is the plot of it time and time again, because this is a huge issue in, in Canada about who has rights to these, to these types of resources. Mm. Well, I think we know the answer. Well, you know, we're getting now into Quantum of Solace, and um, 
apparently the plot of Quantum of Solace is based on a real life thing where they uh, went into some developing nation and like tripled the uh, price of uh, water and it's like so in the in quantum of solace we're going to double it like wait what your your plot is not as as horrific as the real life thing it's based on how how did that work out yeah i mean that was that was the the bolivian water crisis and you know i remember reading about that prior to the film coming out i mean some some time beforehand and um you know, even then, it, I mean, it was just a, this horrific thing. Um, but it certainly didn't sound sort of the, the, the traditional kind of, um, you know, plot for a, for, a, for a Bond film. It was so much more kind of um, down to earth and, um, you, you know, the kind of like the exploitation of natural resources mm. that perhaps wasn't sort of by, by corporations but, or, or government perhaps wasn't as um you know uh as worthy of kind of a like the fantastical bond stories that we were kind of used to but um i, I you know i i think i think the thing about um quantum of solace is that uh, although a lot of people give it a hard time for being sort of fairly gritty and 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 the plot being fairly kind of down down to earth and the stakes being you know, considered to be relatively small scale in terms of, uh, you know, kind of global risk. Um, looking back at it sort of now, it's, um, it, 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 it sort of kind of fits better with our, 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 our politics now, I suppose, a bit more. And, um, you know, the kind of injustices that we're kind of looking to, to see, um, overturned. So I think it, you know, I think it's, um, uh, although it wasn't fantastical, I think it is more kind of um, we're more ready for that kind of uh, film now. I think, or that kind of plot. So you're I, saying that Quant- Quantum of Solace is going to age well because it's become it's going to be, become more um, once once they've got the master key to decipher um, all of it. You know, get the scenes in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if somebody can can explain some of the dialogue i mean that <laughs> then i think it might people might appreciate it down the line yeah well and 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 considering some of the statements made by the ceo of nestle about like yeah we should be able to like take as much water as we want and charge you as much as and charge you as much as we can get reselling it to you it's like yeah that's kind of like that's kind of disturbing <laughs> i feel like we may have lost nestle as a sponsor Um, probably so probably so like how does quantum of solace really resolve this issue other than killing off a couple guys like it's a film that's about water conflict and yet the voices of the people who are affected we're not given their subtitles so they remain in a sense voiceless and they're Mm -hmm. used as these props in the background and then there's a huge explosion in the middle of a desert and then the end is really more focusing on Bond letting go of Vesper Lind and the Love Knot necklace than any sort of resolution of water conflict in Bolivia. And, and, and I think it's, it's this notion of like, I, I, I like the idea of, of looking at like environmental c- conservation and how can it be mobilized in nefarious ways because you get that and die another day. But it's something that's never fully tapped into. It's just, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's still on the surface level because we don't get any firm, full, there's grounded no, resolution. Right, there's, there's no resolution to it at all, is there, Lisa? It's like you know no. when when M meets Bond at the end in in Aldershot or, or Russia or wherever the hell it is, uh, <laughs> uh, and um, you know she's like, "I'm just gonna do a bit of exposition to wrap everything up. This is what happened to this guy. This is what happened to this guy." Bond doesn't go, and what happened with the the water? And then <laughs> M, M shrugs and just goes like, eh, "Who cares?" You know, like it's it, it. There is. It would have been nice to have had some kind of, um, yeah, some sort of resolution to that. And it's right. snowing, which is a form of like liquid mm. and water and frozen water. Like the, the irony is not lost on me that they go from like an arid place to this like place where there's condensation and precipitation everywhere, and they don't even talk about the major issue and conflict of uh, that was taking place. All the shot is a hellhole. You're right. 
sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but also like that one scene where like Bond and uh, the female lead are like coming back and all these thirsty villagers like, you know, do they think about, hey, there's this whole underground lake back there. You can get all the water you want back there. And um, yeah, just it. Well, there's still some weaknesses with Quantum of Solace. I was just Even, thinking that same thing, Bill, um, just because that had never occurred to me, actually, um, until it was just mentioned. But yeah, but particularly as they make a point of showing you those thirsty villagers, it's not like in The Man with the Golden Gun we cut to everyday families having trouble with their electricity or anything, you know, in relation to the energy crisis. They make a very particular point of showing you the uh, effect this is having on regular people, and yeah. yet it's never uh, resolved. Yeah, Bond, Bond shows uh, basically uh, indifference to all the thirsty villagers mm. <laughs> in that scene. Oh, I remember that's upsetting you guys on the watch along that I listened to recently. <laughs> <laughs> Can I raise another example that's not really an example, but it's more of me like championing a cause? So, like in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Blofeld creates some sort of virus. And the goal of it is to cause sterility in plants and animals and, of course, to shorten the food supply. Um, and, and there's like some reason for it, which I think he wants to get maybe a pardon for some reason. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's really important that we understand the crisis that we face when it comes to bees and the importance of bees in pollinating our food and mm -hmm. making sure that our crops can actually grow and 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 we can we can still have food and have a food supply and so just sort of throwing it out there just to be aware that we need to sort of save and protect the bees because otherwise we're not going to necessarily be doing it for for pardons for ourselves but we might participate in a system that could result in even greater food shortages and just another plug a socially conscious blood a plug you know there are a lot of food deserts where we live right now, um, where there's limited access to affordable um, and nutritious food. And so just sort of be aware of that as well. So just, there's some public service in there. Yeah, to, to back you up, Lisa, um, I have read that in some parts of China, they have had the, the, the bee populations have been so devastated that they need to send people out, out with paintbrushes to, mm -hmm. to pollinate crops. Yep. So it's I who love bees. <laughs> oh, that's good. Is it? <laughs> it, it, it isn't. This is a serious point. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, it is a crisis to such a degree that people now have to supplement and like a, a, a natural process that would be happening because of, of bees. And yeah, and I think we have to just consider the way they, that we use pesticides mm, and absolutely there's just a broader conceptualization I mean, it, it, I, and i know some well, people are aware but like it, it, you really bees, need to be careful it's in insect populations insect populations affect birds the bird populations are crashing mm -hmm. as well so it, it, there's a there's uh yeah phil knows all about that there, there there's something like <laughs> half the number of birds that were like 50 years ago or some something like that Whoa. and also just like in terms of uh global warming that creates problems with uh growth growing food yeah, Hitchcock's as well movie's gonna look way out of touch yeah right? it's, it's gonna look naive <laughs> basically by uh, a you know a few decades from now have you and just like a side thing even though i know we're talking about serious things but i saw a post um and i think it was a video of like the birds hitchcock's movie the birds but they yeah. took out the birds and it yeah, just looks like people faves. like randomly like looking around <laughs> and it kind of looks like they're being haunted but that's just in it case reminds me of I, I saw some footage of like when they were shooting the avengers pre-special effects and they're all like shooting like their laser beams out of their hands or whatever <laughs> they do and they just it, it, you know, and it's got the natural sound on it and it just looks so ridiculous it's like you're earning your money acting this because uh -huh. yeah you look like idiots <laughs> imagination i mean we touched we touched briefly on um you know the cocaine in the in the eighties. Um, I, I think I mentioned in in the chat about uh, Escobar and his kind of um, you know reach of power, um, and and some of the kind of the the craziness of his uh, his his empire um, and the and the way in which you know he he very much like got that monopoly in a, in a similar way to sort of Mr. Big as well. I think that, I think we touched on that, but I don't, I, I don't know if that's got any more legs than your, uh, your Reagan one. <laughs> right. Well, the other one that sprung to mind was, um, 
three years after Thunderball, of course, the public didn't know this till a long time afterwards, but 1968, a submarine off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, mysteriously sank with two nuclear warheads. Mm. Um, I don't know what's scarier, um, the, the fact that, you know, this happens so often, you've got a name for it. Sorry, that's a quote from Broken Arrow. I just—that's right. <laughs> and, in and in addition to that, um, the CIA uh, employed Howard Hughes to try and get another submarine. I think it's a separate submarine off that's right. the, off the uh, uh, ocean surface. And this did come out. I think it was Seymour Hirsch was working for the New York Times at at, at that time, and he broke the story. And this was, you know, this was during a period where a lot of weird CI things were becoming public and that was like one of one of the weird ones. So yeah, I mean there were all sorts of stuff like that happening. Yeah, but, you know, post Thunderball, um having two nukes off the coast of the US just sitting on the seabed waiting to get picked up. Can I ask a question? Somebody. And it sort of goes with this. And I've always had this theory and it's something I talk to my parents about a lot. And I think that there's a lot of creativity that can happen in, in, in movies and in, in, in novels and so on. But there are things that I would never think about doing. And like, is there a risk? Because we're talking about like things that happened after the fact based on these movies. Like, is there a risk, especially with a blockbuster franchise that we're, that by putting out, say, certain ideas here about submarines and stealing stuff, that that might actually like put ideas in people's heads? about like these are potential things that you can do. Do you ever have that fear? Cause it's something that I, I hold when I yeah, walk around, I, like I, I never would have thought of this, but now, okay, now this is out in public consciousness and somebody might buy into I, it. I, I think, I, I think if a screenwriter doesn't think of it, uh, somebody else will. So, the, the, you know, mm. I, I, I think eventually mm-hmm. and within a short span of time, these ideas will, will get out there. So I, I, I don't really, uh, fear that, um, but there used to be a there used to be a show called uh, Crime Watch uh, in in the UK or Crime Watch UK. In fact, I think it was called, uh, which was basically uh, police uh, uh, would put out a, a series of crimes that they hadn't been able to solve, um, and then do reconstructions on how they weren't able to solve them. Um, which I always thought <laughs> was, was a how to. Uh, cheat codes yeah we don't know how how to catch these guys so if you want to do exactly what they did here's here's a video (laughs) also i was just going to say like jack winningham delivered his first draft for what would become thunderball like january 2nd or 3rd 1960 and of course the movie didn't come out till christmas of uh 65 so it's like those ideas were percolating a long time before the movie came out, much less before the uh, the real life incident. Incident. Well, that that incident I mentioned was number seven and number eight of missing nukes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, not wow. to mention the ones that accidentally dropped on. Was it? There's a couple. My point is, my point being though that writers were like thinking about this like years before the movie came out. I think they did a to, to answer Lisa's question. Um, they did a lot of studies about how people were uh, are influenced by uh, what they see in, um, in in films, and particularly this was around things like smoking and stuff like like that. So a kind of a, what you might consider to be a, a, a smaller scale kind of um, thing. But um, you know those those studies pretty much showed that a lot of people were emulating behaviors based on what they considered to be, you know, cool characteristics of their, of, of the protagonists, what have you. Um, and, and hence you don't see smoking in, in um, films anymore, uh, you know, unless it's, uh, unless it's period. Um, and so I think that there is a degree of uh, responsibility uh as as a as a writer to kind of um you know on the one hand present you know potential like uh 
threats and plots that you know are exciting for us but also to not necessarily play into the hands of people who might you know implement them in the real world so i think there is there is an element of that no i i i i i I agree with you there it's like uh, like that nobody in the bond community would go out and buy a a shirt just because it had been worn by james bond for instance no, of course not. Absolutely, there is some influence. But what, what, what I was uh, saying to Lisa's question was that, um, you know, when, when uh, if screenwriters can come up with a plot to do something, then I, I think criminals can do it apart from the stupid ones. Oh, on their, on, off their own bat oh, as well. Yeah. No, you're, you are absolutely right, David. I guess I just meant that, um, yeah, our media does influence us. And, oh, and, I, I, yeah, you know, I agree with that completely, yes. But I, I, so I, did, I, think, I, I think that's a different question. They did a, they did a, they did a thing where they, they, they looked at the ratios of women to men in background extras um, in, in films. And uh, there's a there's a higher ratio of uh, of men to women, um, and then they 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 did this sort of experiment where they they would they would put that same ratio into a into a room, and they would be asked to say what they felt was a, a fair representation, and when it was the same ratio of men to women as they see in in background artists, um, they would say that it was an equal representation. And as you started to add more women into the mix, people would say, oh, it's, there's, there's too many women in this now. And that's, that's a kind of an interesting um, notion of how um, we, can, we can be kind of subliminally. No, um, the, 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 the whole thing about influencing people is, uh, can be very, very, very subtle. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I have no, no doubt about that at all. Absolutely. Can I ask another question? Yeah. It's like my follow-up question, and it has to do with, so Bond films are largely, I mean, they're made in the UK, but they're also US collaborations. And oftentimes when you have like these big sort of scripts and narratives and plots, at times you can have some influence from say US intelligence, making sure Mm -hmm. that things are, Mm -hmm. like you're not going to give away too much or that you're not going to be too, you're not going to poke the wrong bear out there. And like, Is that just a U.S. thing? Does the U.K. have like some sort of say over its films or is this just like a U.S. thing? It's the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know that obviously, I mean, China has its own censorship of its scripts and stuff like that. But I didn't know if other major industries had the same thing about like what could be the geopolitical significance. But since Hollywood films tend to be global in terms of like their distribution, they can have like a huge impact. So, yeah. That's interesting. No, um, the CIA do like proof the U.S. scripts, right? Which is why we end up with a lot of Canadian people in in U.S. movies, right? (laughs) But um, I I remember the story Peter Lamont used to tell about how they will walk through how to make a nuke, you know, (laughs) and they just weren't allowed to photograph anything, so they went home and like drew it. And that was like, okay, that's great. I think think they were even told to... uh, pay very close attention to what's going to happen. Mm. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and if I remember with a Thunderball, like uh, Peter Lamott snuck a camera in and took some photos. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did that tour with the, um, the Vulcan bombers and he basically had to kind of recreate from as much from memory as, as possible. Um, well, the fact that they let them in to look so they could get it right. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the um to answer to answer uh lisa's point though i think also that they they can they can you asked about the uk and mm-hmm. the first thing that kind of popped in my mind was um spy love me where they where they you know they they're looking at the um polaris system which at the time was obviously a very uh you know new um system of missile system for uh, for submarines and I wonder whether, um, in some regard, they almost hyped up um, their defensive capabilities, or you know, or the things that, that that Britain had to kind of almost make them appear more formidable on the on the international stage. 
um, you know, we've got this incredible new submarine system and, you know, as opposed to kind of downplaying what. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. And uh, to your point about Spy Love Me, Ben, it's like not only are we going to like talk about the actual submarine stuff, we're actually, we'll let you film in Fastlane where the nuclear submarines are. Yeah, yeah come, <laughs> come, and, come and just walk next to a couple of them. Um, right. And I was going to say with China, I think there's a whole nother issue. It's like, it's not about national security. It's like, it's more about propaganda, actually. It's like, oh, this is, this is not, um, this does not work with uh, our uh, what we want to the image we want to project, and uh, Marvel's been having some issues with that uh, with a couple of its new movies that aren't out yet. So we'll see how that turns out. T point, Benny saying like they might have bigged them up as propaganda to be a bit dick waving about capabilities. Yeah, I you know like in the, in the same thing with the um, the ATAC system, and you know. That there, there was almost a kind of a, you know, an inference within the in in those sort of seventies Bond films with um, with Siraj that Britain had a much better um, military capability than maybe it actually did have, um, you know, a, probably a, a a greater spy network and a you know um, more more nuclear submarines and better equipment than maybe uh maybe we did actually have at the time yeah. but that's just uh, that's just a hypothesis that's not really necessarily based on yeah, anything you want your own nuke call 0800 spectre <laughs> <laughs> oh and didn't i mention before that company that called themselves spectre that was yeah. buying up there like copyrights and patents for like like nuclear reactors and missiles and a whole bunch of stuff. I think that was maybe laser last... guns and stuff. Yeah, wasn't it? like just weird stuff. And it's like, wait a second, Inspector's real. Jewish space um, That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another one, isn't it? Because you basically had this whole space lasers setting fire to Californian um, scrubland, and um, <laughs> you know that that's clearly uh, the 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 plot of Die Another Day right there. Well, going back to Diamonds of Forever. So the one I did think about was the Russian mirror satellite that they were trying to do to light up Siberia, which is obviously, which is what Dino the Day was based on. Mm -hmm. But then you think backwards, it's like, well, actually, no, Diamonds of Forever was space lasers. So Yeah, okay, okay. The, the, the mirrors, I mean, they're, they're talking about mirrors and, and this kind of stuff to, to reverse global warming. So, um, so we may see a repeat of this very soon they're hmm. going out rather than in there are the 43 mirrors in the uh, mirror world yeah yeah it's it's out rather than in but but you know it, uh if it, you can just turn it 180 degrees and uh wipe out large parts of i don't know whatever country you want to take large parts out of so what? Um, so to to kind of wrap wrap this up because I think the interesting one you raised, Bill, was ninety ninety three's golden over the twin tower attack, which would not have dated well, right? Um, are there any other plots um, that might that you think might be like, yeah, that's not going to age well in the future? I'm thinking like if Amazon or Musk announced they're going to start like excavating a volcano somewhere. Be like, mm, oh, that, yeah, that, that, would, that would not that, that would not go well at all. I think, um, you know, it would actually depend if uh, something came up with a Bond film that, hypothetically speaking, let's say, if there was a plot that somehow wasn't didn't didn't uh, make Amazon look good. That might be a problem. Now, like uh, Bezos personally owns the Washington Post, and the Washington Post does do some tough stories on him. But that's a that's a whole different thing. You know, it's not it's not a movie. It's not a movie studio. So, you know, we'll see. Well, uh, I know somebody who works for Amazon. I, I think she works in in HR, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure. But if, so, if they start recu recruiting people to work in a volcano, uh, I'll be one of the first to know. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> you have the inside track yeah. on volca volcano hirings right there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Crater guy is the new uh, HR manager at the volcano. <laughs> but wasn't uh, didn't Elon Musk at one point talk about doing a massive drill down to the Earth's core in order to harness um, yes, Doctor Who and the Daleks? The, yeah, but the <laughs> to, to harness the power of like uh, he he talked about some kind of underground tunnel like. You know, oh, that, that, was, yeah, that was his base. Los Angeles and Las Vegas, or yeah, something yeah, like that. that. It's yeah. like, as if no one had ever thought of like doing underground like roads before. Um, billionaire bullshit. Yeah, billionaire bullshit. No, but seriously, I think that. Well, the, the other one was to go up into space and come back down again so you could travel from like the UK to Australia in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that technically would. It yeah, provided, provided the spaceship didn't blow up. Um, I've always found, you know. to, just as an aside on that, I've always found it interesting that, that whenever you see a time machine in a movie, um, they never take into account the spatial like changes. Right. Like you, know, you go back in time like 50 years, but like you land in the same place. Yeah. Like, yes. You know. But well, wasn't wait, that. Well, the time machine did, 1960, with Rod Taylor. Well, well, the point is, you wouldn't be in the same place yeah. because the Earth moves. And it wasn't that the plot of, oh, that failed Disney um, big Mars movie. Remind me what it was. John Carter. But John Carter wasn't the the science John Carter. Like if you invite time time travel, you also invent spatial travel. Yeah. So they travel from Earth to Mars using a time machine because you just basically plot the point where Mars would be, and then you appear there, and it's boom. The in two thousand. Anyway, we are way off now, but it does remind me of like why they turn the Moonraker shuttles around. Yeah. yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. what's the point? Meanwhile, with that John Carter movie, like Disney lost like two hundred and fifty million dollars. So yeah, I wish like, they could yeah. go back in time and not do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, but they, they need to judge it so they landed on the same planet as well. Oh yeah. Why did they turn the space capsule around and you only live twice? Yeah, because it would just come like the the Earth will just because it looked back around. <laughs> Um, screen direction to screen direction. Yeah. Even space. See, I'm, I'm the, sorry. The, ben, living, the I... living daylights kind of didn't age well, right? Going back to the question. No. Um, <laughs> and I'm surprised that we've gone through a whole year of the pandemic and there's not been more media coverage of like, yeah, isn't this the plot of Modern Majesty's Secret Service? <laughs> Even the book calls it Corona, for God's sake. Well, and, yeah. You know what? Right? That, that's because everybody keeps hiring Steven Soderbergh because he did that 2010 movie about a pandemic. And it's like, oh, we'll get uh, Steven Soderbergh be the head of this uh, uh, committee to talk about how does the movie industry recover from a t- pandemic? Like, well, because he made a film it, about one. Uh, yeah, okay. apparently. I, I, I feel it's time to, to G up um, a tabloid journalist george what's his name oh right <laughs> yes simpson yes. um yeah i i hit the mute button for my laugh but yeah that's very good very good the, the one that i did think of is actually going all the way back to the beginning i think with all of the space programs that are kicking off now and the rival space programs especially like china and india the idea of somebody interfering with them mm. is highly likely <laughs> that's like a high chance that might happen so dr no might become mm. like a real thing closer to reality. As, as we tip into sort of a new cold war, I think it's sort of oh, yes. sort of going to get a big sense of deja vu in the, uh, in the uh, headlines and such. Mm. We didn't talk about the books or the comics or the games, or those other plots, but I can't imagine we're going to be seeing like tanks made out of platinum rolling through red square. So um, <laughs> a little bit more fanciful. Mm. Yeah, mm. We can always bring, bring that up some other time. <laughs> Particularly, there's another delay in the movie, so <laughs> not that I'm predicting that. I'm not, just so you know. Well, I think we have seen this week that you know events may take place that might affect that. Right? <laughs> yeah, so it's gonna, we'll see it in ten years' time, won't we? Mm. Oh my god! It, it's a bit like there's um in in one of uh, David Niven's books, he's talking about uh, I can't remember which European director, and um he he was in Hollywood and he was reported to have said uh, you know uh, I won't put on on an accent, but uh, uh, pe- people people think I know fuck nothing, but I know fuck all. <laughs> 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 All right, as we're straining credibility here, 
time say. to wrap up. <laughs> Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you. And uh, see you next week. Thanks. See you. Bye. Bye. I know there's no phone and no labels to put on to this thing we keep and dip into when we need. And I don't have the right to ask where you go at night, but the waves hit my head to think someone's in your bed. Just lost the world war And the scene slips away To the evenness I fake It's a shit, it's a world Cause I don't really want you, girl But you can't